Good morning, everybody. Everybody good? Happy Easter to you. It's a beautiful, beautiful Sunday. A little bit windy, but a beautiful Sunday morning, and it's good to be in God's house together. Glad that you're here. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. If you're new this morning, my name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church, and uh, uh, happy to welcome you here. I'm, a, I'm the luckiest man alive. I love being uh, a pastor. I love being your pastor. Um, I love everything about it. I, pr- I probably love baptism as much as anything. There's something about, I'm not the only person who does baptism around here, but to be the one in the water with a new believer, that's just always really, really something to me. We do it in that pool right there on our Sundays. Um, baptism, there's a lot of ways a baptism can go sideways or wrong, and luckily I've never wound up on YouTube that way, you, you know, with a <laughs> baptism gone bad. Um, Guys, I knew a guy, uh, true story, this guy was, was baptizing in his church. It was a little country church that had like one door in the center that led back to where they would baptize. And uh, of course you baptize and if you're the pastor, after you baptize, you have to change clothes and get out real fast because you got, you got to stand up and preach in, in dry clothes. So that quick change in the back is always the, the pastor's challenge. So this particular day, the pastor was back there, he baptized, it was glorious, and he was trying to change really quickly. You know how sometimes when you're like mostly dry, but not completely dry, your clothes don't come on and off real well anymore, and he was struggling with trying to get in and out, and he was trying to step into his boxers, and you ever like been putting a leg in and you, get, you lose your balance, you know? So he was backstage. Uh, again, there's a door that opens onto the platform, like out front, but then there's like five steps and a, and a landing, and that's where he would change his clothes. So he was up there in that landing, uh, one foot in his boxers, and, and he lost his balance, and so he fell and rolled. And he rolled all the way down the steps, and then when he hit the door, he, he, he ended up like kicking the door open, and then he just flopped out naked, just flopped out. Like, <laughs> uh, I'm serious, y'all. It was, it was terrible, also really funny, you know, just kind of flopped out in the middle of the floor. Like all the old ladies are fanning, you know, it's just an awful, <laughs> awful moment in the church. But seriously, that's a true story. To this day in that church, they refer to that as the pastor's moon landing. <laughs> I love that so much. It's moon landing. Uh, it's really funny unless you're the pastor, you know, who, who landed. Um, never had one go sideways like that. Uh, I remember the day I was baptized, I was six years old, uh, I was too short to touch the bottom of the pool, um, but I know what Jesus did for me, and I know that I wanted Jesus that day more than anything in the world, and uh, praise God for my salvation. Um, baptism is an amazing moment, and if you're a believer, if you've ever experienced that, then, then you understand uh, the words are different probably from church to church, but when I'm baptizing, I'll always you know, push the person under the water, and I'll say something like, you're, you're buried with Christ in baptism, which I love. Buried with Christ, and then, and then you bring them out of the water, and I say, raised to life, you know, raised to walk in the newness of Christian life. It's that burial and that resurrection with Jesus. You're, you're literally acting out the Easter story. Every new believer is acting out the Easter story in, in their baptism, but now literally what they're saying is that that Easter story, that, that death, burial, and resurrection, that's not just Easter, that's my story. 
And that's what baptism is. When you go into the water, you're saying, I, I died with Christ. I was crucified with Christ. I'm buried with him. It's like a water grave, you know. And then you come out of that water. It's a resurrection. And you're saying, I've, I've died with Christ, buried with Christ, and now I, I'm raised to live with Christ. The life that I live is not my own. It's Christ living in me, you know. So it's that Easter story, but it's not just for Easter at all. If you're a believer, that's your story. That is the story that defines your life, death and resurrection with Jesus. I want you to be thinking about baptism because in Romans chapter 6, the passage we're going to read together, Paul is going to talk about baptism. So I wanted that to be fresh in your mind. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. I love this passage. Uh, I'm the kind of guy that I'll underline in my Bible if it's a verse that I really, really like. And I've underlined every verse that I'm about to read to you, which, you know, it's like eventually if you underline everything, it defeats the purpose of underlining any, anything. So I've, I've got everything underlined, but I, I love all of this so much. Romans chapter 6, let's do 11 verses. You ready? Romans chapter 6, Paul speaking. He says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. You get it, dead, but, but alive through Christ. It's a c- couple of years ago, it was this time of year, I, I know because I was mulching. Uh, I, I really like that kind of work. It's kind of what I'll do on my day off. Uh, I got a whole pickup truck full of mulch that day because I was going to spread mulch all over creation, and that's what I was doing. I'm 57, and all these years of mulching, I've never quite decided what's the best way to unload mulch. Sometimes I use a shovel, it works. I think sometimes a fork works even better. But this particular day, I was using my hands. I was just going in uh, with my hands. I would get just a big double handful of mulch. and It's always sort of warm and steaming. It's awesome. I get a big double handful of mulch. You know, I'd kind of you know, hold it together in my hands and then just spread it. And that's what I was doing this day. I was spreading mulch. I was doing good. Um, all of a sudden, I reached in, I grabbed a big double handful of mulch, I squeezed it together like in my hands to hold it, but when I squeezed it, this big double handful of mulch, I felt something squeeze back. And I looked and there was something black and rubbery wrapping itself around my hand. It was a live snake. Now... 
sometimes in life you wonder, what will I do? What would I do? And I've done that. You know, I wonder in, a, in certain situations, would I be brave? In certain situations like that, you know, what would I do? So this is the moment to find out what, what will I do? And, and we're Baptists. We don't hold snakes, you know, like that very often. And so here I'm seeing this double handful of mulch, this snake wrapped around my hand. What do y'all think I did? See, I understand why you would think that because I probably would have thought that I, I, I wouldn't have had any confidence in me. I would have thought I would have wet my pants. I would have thought that I would scream, run, whatever. But this is what I'm telling you. I did not. I did not. I stood there with this double handful of mulch and that snake wrapped itself around me. And I remained perfectly calm. Y'all, I was awesome. I did did not freak out. I did not freak out. That snake wrapped itself around my hand and I watched it a minute. I mean, there's a live snake wrapping around me and I remained calm. I was like Indiana Jones. It was amazing. I actually was wishing my wife was around to see me. She would think I was really hot in that moment, you know, being brave. I was standing there and, and I, I, totally, I totally held it all together. I stood there a minute and then I, I sort of I, I laid it down. I, I shook the snake. The snake unwrapped from my hand and it slithered off across the yard. Who knew? I was magnificent, y'all. I was so, it's just a shame nobody saw that, but it happened. So then... I went back to mulching. You know, it's over. Moment of glory is, is over. So I, I reach in. I start doing more. It probably wasn't two minutes. I reach back in. A bit, I get a big double handful of mulch. I squeeze it a little bit. And I see something black and rubbery coming out, coming out of the, the, the handful of mulch. What do y'all think I do this time? I freaked out. Yeah, I totally. Part of me's thinking, I have a pickup truck load of full snakes right here. You know, nothing but live snakes in, in this truck. Man, I freaked out. And I, I don't understand why the first time I was so composed, probably because I didn't, I didn't, it took me probably a minute to register its snake, you know. But this time, I know it's a snake. It's black, it's rubbery. It's the second one I've seen. I freak out. I mean, I throw that as far as I can. I'm shivering and just walking around the yard like, oh, 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 you know, I'm screaming. It was horrible, horrible. So then I come back together. I walk over and that second snake, I threw it down. The first one slithered off. The second one was laying right there. And I looked real close. Y'all know what it was? It was an old fan belt. Like, it's just a long black piece of rubber, which is weird, you know, because when I was holding a live snake, I was, I was awesome, but when I was holding a, just a long piece of, you know, rubber, I fell apart. The thing is, I, I really wasn't very good that day at, at, at discerning something dead from something alive, you know what I'm saying? Here's, here's what I want you to know. We're going into... Romans chapter 6 now, distinguishing between what has to do with death and what has to do with life is the single most important thing you'll ever learn to do. You hearing me? To learn to distinguish between what has to do with death and what has to do with life. In that moment, I, I didn't make that distinction very well, but that's not a critical moment. I'm talking about your life here. And in your life, there are things that absolutely pertain to death and things that absolutely pertain to life, and everything depends upon your ability to learn the difference 
to know the difference between what pertains to death and what pertains to, to life. Now, now, death, I think you know. Physical death. Uh, we're all born, and biologists say that you actually begin to die from the moment you're born, which is interesting. But, but life itself is this long, lifelong process of, of dying, and that's what's happening to our bodies. It's physical death, and, and since it happens to all of us, we, we, we get it. Probably for the first season of your life as a young person, many of us can just sort of not have to think about death. You don't even have to, you know, n- none of it seems like anything that is ever going to pertain to you until at some point death comes knocking at your door. It's probably the first time you lose a grandparent somebody in your family, and, and then you begin to realize that, that death really does come for everybody, you, you start to realize that, 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 that to live is to just make this long journey toward the grave. We, we all die. It's, it's, it's physical death. It's a lifelong process. For the first little bit, it works, it works to your advantage. It's this process of maturing. Now, it leads to, you know, eventually, you know, decay and death, but, but in the beginning, it's kind of awesome. You start out as a baby, and you begin to mature, and you actually get better for a while. You get taller, you get smarter, you get better looking. And you're kind of thinking that this is how life is going to roll. It is not how life is going to roll. Because here's the thing. You get taller, and then eventually you sort of top out. And then you just start getting wider. You didn't see that coming, did you? But that's what happens, taller and and then eventually wider. For a while, you just get better looking as you go. You know, your teeth come in, and I mean, that's just kind of awesome. And and, man, high school, maybe college, you're good looking. You're so good looking. But the thing is, that don't last. This is how death works. It comes on us slowly, but slowly our bodies, which for a while seem to be getting better with age, sooner or later you realize, no, they don't get better with age. Nothing gets better with age. Like... If I ever look dead in life, it's, it's in my driver's license picture, right? My driver's license picture is horrible. It's, it's just horrible. I think those ladies down there hate me because they take two, and I'm pretty sure they picked the worst one, and then I, I have that on my driver's license. For, anyway, Casey and I went to get those new Kentucky, like, real IDs. I don't know what I'm talking about. Like the fancy ones. It's like a passport. It's kind of awesome. And when I got my real ID, they gave me an option. They said, Mr. Harris, would you like to keep this picture for two years, or would you like to have it for eight? Like, I can have this picture for eight. This is kind of cool. So I said, I want it for eight. And then I started thinking, I'm 57. In eight years, I'll be 65. What am I going to look like? You know, and then it dawned on me, as bad as this picture is, this might be the best picture I ever take again. Like, like it may never get better than that. And, and it's just the truth. We're talking about physical death here, and it's just what happens. All of our bodies break down, run down, and eventually we die. It's physical death. From the moment you're born, you've known about physical death. It comes for all of us. But you have to realize death is not only physical Death is physical. Death is also spiritual. And it's the spiritual type of death that most of us don't think about at all. But here's the thing. While you were born with physical life, you were not born with spiritual life. You're born spiritually dead. So until something happens, unless Jesus intervenes in your life, 
Spiritual death is all you know. It's all you've ever known. If what Paul describes in Romans chapter 6 has never happened in your life, then you are a spiritually dead person. You have physical life, but you do not have spiritual life. You're dead inside. You say, well, Pastor Tim, I think if I was dead, I would know. I'm telling you, you won't. You won't. Because it's all you've ever known. Y'all remember that old, that old movie, The Sixth Sense with Bruce Willis? Did y'all see that? You remember that? It's the one where he, he's with that creepy kid that says, I see dead people. You remember that? And then it turns out Bruce Willis is a dead person. Like the whole, wait, if you haven't seen the movie, I just totally ruined that, <laughs> totally ruined that movie for you because the whole movie, Bruce Willis is dead, y'all. The, like when the kid says, I see dead people. He's talking to him. He was dead the whole time. And this is what I'm telling you. Unless what happens in Romans chapter 6 happens to you, unless the Easter story becomes your story, you're dead. Inside, dead. Now, you wouldn't know it because it's all you've ever known. You can't really imagine what real spiritual life is. You can't imagine what it would be like to be united with your Creator because you've never known anything but separation from your Creator. That's because of sin. We're going to talk about that in a minute. You can't even imagine what it would be to have true joy and life and love and peace. You can't even imagine what it would be like because all you've ever known is spiritual death. It's all you've known. You don't know what you're not hearing, you don't know what, what you're not seeing, you're dead. You can't possibly feel what you're not feeling, you're dead. It's spiritual death, and, and it's what we mean when we talk about a person being lost or, or a person who's really never come to faith, never comes to know the Lord. They live in this state of spiritual death. And this is what Paul is talking about. This is where Romans 6 becomes very, very important. Because he's talking about how we pass from death to life. And and it happens because of Jesus. It's by the power of Jesus. So Easter, when we talk about how Jesus has this power over death, Jesus who dies and then is raised to life again, understand, that signifies, that represents, that tells us this God has power over death. And if he has power over death like that, then understand, he's offering that power to me. He's offering that to me. What happens in Romans chapter 6 is all these amazing things we learn about Jesus. But what you need to know is what's true of Jesus is true of you in Christ. If you know Christ, if you know Jesus, then everything Romans chapter 6 says about Jesus becomes true of you. So when it says that death no longer has power over him in verse 9... Death no longer has power over him. That means when you come to know Christ, death no longer has power over you. No fear in death whatsoever because you know that the God who holds you in this life is going to hold you in the life to come. There's no fear. You know that you will live again. You know there's something on the other side of the grave. If death has no power over him, death has no power over you. What's true of Jesus is true of you in Christ. So when the scripture says death no longer has power over him, when he died, he died once to break the power of sin, then understand if sin has no power over him, sin has no power over us. Christ himself gives you power over sin. You could say he makes you dead to the power of sin. Dead to the power of sin. In 
the passage that we're reading, Paul actually says it sins like slavery. Verse 6, because of Jesus, we're no longer slaves to sin. You know what it is to be a slave to sin? Uh, somebody's thinking, hey, here we go. You know, Baptist preacher got us in the church. Now, we're he going to talk about sin. You're going to be pointing out my sin. Um, I could. <laughs> I don't really know how you sin. I mean, to be honest, can't tell by looking. I don't think any of you are sinning like right in front of me right now. I don't know your thoughts. You know, some of you would say, well, you know, but I'm, I'm sure that you're thinking that I probably think some things are sin that you don't think are sin, so we'll never agree on sin, but uh, I don't care if you agree with, with me about what I think is sin or not. I'm not really trying to make you agree with me. I, I want you to come to Jesus. Jesus is what matters. And, and the fact of the matter is, I can talk about sin because I'm a sinner. Now, you're a sinner too, no, no question about that. We don't necessarily sin in the same ways. We can all start with the Ten Commandments because that's where, you know, it kind of starts in the Old Testament. That's how we sort of learn what sin is. But I'm telling you, I got sins that aren't, didn't even make that list. And, and, and you do too. That's sin. In Scripture, what you have to know is it's sin that leads to death. So when we're talking about the things in us that pertain to death, we're really starting to talk about our sin there. Sin, that is our real problem. How does, how does sin work? Um, no matter what your sin is, or you know, no matter how you sin, it's always kind of the same thing. Uh, first off, I'll talk about myself. I know better. I mean, sometimes we try to act like we don't know right from wrong. Most of the time I do. I, I know what is right, and I know what I'm supposed to do in that moment. But, but knowing and doing are two separate things. And so the way sin works is I know better, but I do otherwise. You know what I'm talking about? I know better. You ever told a lie when you could have done just a good telling the truth, but still the lie came out? That's what I mean. There's just something about us. We step off the path. As soon as we know there is a path, we step off of it. And, and it's just the nature of the power of sin in us. And, and, and Paul calls it. You know, enslaving power, it's like a slavery. And I guess I know about that too. I, I guess we all do in one way or the other. Again, I don't know what your sin is, but, but you probably have been in the same situation I've been in where, where I, I, I sin and immediately I hate myself. Like I really hate the things I do sometimes. And, and I, feel, uh, I, I feel filthy. I, I, I feel like a hypocrite. I feel like I'm not the person I want to be. And, and I will tell myself, I'm never going to do that again. I'm not going to be that guy. I will not do that again. And I'll, I'll, I'll clean up my act, and I'll get everything together, and I'll hide and keep, you know, think I got my secrets put away. But, but I'm telling you, the very next day, I'm back at it. It's, it's, it's a kind of slavery because you think that you're going to be a better person, but it turns out you, you don't ever change. Like, like your last marriage, you were going to be a better husband, but now you're on marriage number three, and, and that turns out no matter how many times you get married, you don't ever change. You, you can change your spouse, you can change your partner, you can change jobs, you can change schools, you can change your friend group, you, you, can, you can change location, you can move to another state, you can do all you want to do, but somehow you don't ever have the power to change yourself. 
It's the power of sin over us. And like I say, we all sin differently. And I don't know what your sins are. And you probably don't know what my sins are. But, but we all know what sin is. It's, it's a kind of slavery. But this is what Christ offers. Christ gives us this power to, to be dead to the power of sin. It, it cancels it. It cuts the central nerve of, of sin in my life. So I'm no longer a slave to it. I do not have the power to change myself, but because of Jesus, there is now power available by his spirit, and I'm a brand new person. In baptism, we signify that when we say you are buried with Christ in baptism. We're burying that old person, that man you used to be, that that woman you've always been. All of a sudden, there is power available. We can bury We can bury our old self, all the things in our lives that we thought we could never hide, that we thought we could never run from. Jesus offers us that power to bury it once and for all. It's not going to keep coming back. You're not going to keep stepping in the same holes. You're not going to keep falling for the same traps. I'm telling you, there is power over sin in your life. Jesus does that for us, makes us dead to sin. It's what Paul says. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. So understand, in your life, learning to know the difference between the things that have to do with death, all the things that pertain to your sin, all the things that keep you stuck, all the things that ensure that inside you never find peace, you never find any kind of happiness or joy because you're dead inside. But I'm telling you, Christ offers you the power to come to life. You got to know the difference. You got to be able to uh, look at the things in your life, the, the habits and the hurts and the hangups, and, and you got to be able to know what things have to do with death and what things have to do with the life that Jesus wants to bring out of you. There's a New York Times reporter by the name of Nicholas Kristoff. You've probably read some of his articles. He's well-known, pretty fantastic. Uh, Christoph wrote an article, gosh, probably it's been years now, 2004. Um, He was, as a reporter, exploring the whole reality of human trafficking in in, in our day. We're talking about modern-day slavery, and it's devastating when you know the numbers. Christoph was trying to learn about that and try to figure out how people could wind up slaves in, in our day. Of course, so many of those caught in human trafficking these days are somehow um, apprehended as, as children, as, as very young people, often girls, and then they are uh, placed in, in sex work. They become sex slaves. And so indeed, this is what Christoph began to explore. He was in Cambodia, and he ran across two young women who were both sex slaves. That They had been in slavery most of their lives, taken as girls, um, never had the freedom to do anything but what others would force them to do. They had sex for money uh, every day of their lives. That's all they knew. They were slaves. So Christoph was just trying to decide how, how hard or how easy is it to, to help a person like that find freedom. So in Cambodia, he went to the brothel where two women uh, that he had encountered were working. Their names were uh, Surinette. And Surrey mom, Surrey net first, he 
went to the brothel owner and said, I want to know what it would take to set Surrey Net free. What would it take for her to walk out free? And the brothel owner looked at him without even, without batting an eye, said $150. $150 for a young woman's life. So he gave him $150, and the brothel owner literally gave him a receipt. But Surinette walked out free, $150, all it took, and she just walked out free, whole new life, just walked out. It's amazing. So Surimam, the second woman. So Christoph asked the brothel owner, what about Surimam, what would it take? Well, now the brothel owner is catching on, you know, and so the price goes up. And so for Surimam, he says, uh, $203. <laughs> $203 for a young woman's life. And so Christoph hands over the money, hands with $203, and, and she's free. Surimam is free. But in that moment, she, she freezes. And then she bursts into tears, and she runs back upstairs, goes into her room, and closes the door. They could hear her crying. So Christoph goes first. He goes up the hallway, goes... To her door, he knocks on the door and says, Sir, Mom, come out, come out. You're free. You're free. But you've got to leave now. We have to go. We've got to get out. And she says, I can't go. I can't go. I can't go with you. He's just begging with her, you know, I paid the money. The brothel owner says, You can go. You're free. You're not a slave anymore. You can come with me. And she says, I can't go. You don't understand. I can't go. And he says, What is it? Why won't you go? And she says to him, My phone. I need my phone. He said, where is your phone? And she said, I, I pawned it. She pawned her phone for money. She needed $55 to get her phone back. And he said, sir, mom, it's a phone. You've got to leave now. You're, you're free. There are phones literally everywhere. We'll get you a phone. And she said, no, I need my phone. And so she stayed in that room crying, but she would not leave. So eventually, all the women in the brothel came out and started knocking on the door saying, Suri, Mom, come on, get out of here. You can go. Leave. Finally, the brothel owner, the man who held her in sex slavery all of those years, stood outside her door and said, Girl, get out of here. You can go. Just leave. You've got to leave now. She would not leave her phone. That phone was a part of her slavery. That phone was a part of her old life in the brothel. That phone was death to her. But she could not lay it down. This is what I'm saying to you. You've got to learn to know the things in your life that, that pertain to death and the things that pertain to the life that Christ would give you. The book of Revelation says that Jesus stands outside the door of your heart and knocks. It's like Christoph outside Surrey Mom's door just knocking on the door. I mean, please come out. Come on, you're free. You can walk free. You can have a whole nother life. And Scripture says that's what Jesus says. He knocks on the door of your heart. But now, some of you for years, you've 
You've known about Jesus, you've heard the gospel, but you will not open the door to him. Now, I've already said, he's got power over the grave. I mean, Jesus has infinite power. He could absolutely kick the door of your heart in. He could kick his way in, but he will not. He will not. Jesus will not go where he is not invited. He will not invade the life that is not opened up to him. You have to want him. You have to invite him. And you have to be willing to, to leave the old life. You have to be willing to, to pay attention to the things in your life that are destroying you, the sin in your life that is literally going to destroy you if you don't find a way to put it to death first. That's why Paul says you have to consider yourself dead to sin. So all of these things in your life that have kept you stuck, these things in life that have kept you addicted, kept you in this place where nothing ever changes, do you understand? Jesus is standing outside the door of your life, offering you the opportunity to bury these things for good. You can bury them and you can walk away a new person. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation, the scripture says. Old things are passed away, everything is made new, but you have to want that. I say a new believer in the waters of baptism, it's not the water that saves you. You know that. It's Jesus that saves us. It's our faith in Jesus. But we step into the waters as a way of showing people what Jesus has done for us. And that's why the primary way we act it out is to act out the Easter story. The preacher takes you and pushes you down into that water. It's a sign of what Jesus has done when he died for you. It's a sign of you're saying, he died for me and I died with him. That old me is gone and, and, and buried forever, understand. You come back out of that water, new, washed new by the very blood and power of Jesus who now raises you to live a different kind of life. You can have a different kind of life. It's not just the Easter story is what I'm saying. This death and resurrection that we celebrate today. If you're thinking that it's just a story we tell because it's a holiday, you've missed the point. And for that matter, if you may call yourself a Christian. Maybe you've even been through the waters of baptism like I described. But if what Paul describes in Romans chapter 6, if, if this is not a reality in your life, if nothing like this has ever happened to you, then I would invite you to consider whether or not you've really passed from death into life. This is what Jesus does every time. And he'll do it for you. If you believe. You want life? If you're ready to change, Jesus will change you. He's got that power. He'll bring you to life. He's the only one with that resurrection kind of power. I'm just saying this Easter story needs to be your story. Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. You decide whether or not he comes in choice you make. Pray with me.